Uh, if you're new, exploring Christianity with us, my name is uh, Ben Hilson, and I'm the young adult pastor here at Village. And welcome uh, to our young adult service uh, here on a Friday night. Everybody feeling good? Sweet. What we've been doing as we started off uh, this year, as we started off last month, is we've been actually taking apart our mission statement here as a community. And, and that statement is to be a young adult community, joining God in his renewal of the world through the gospel. And we're going to be taking that apart, and we're going to be moving forward in that tonight. And what we've been doing is really we've just been stuck on talking about the, uh, what it means when we say we want to be a young adult community. Like what's different about us as a young adult community than all the other young adult communities or communities in general out there uh, in the lower mainland? We've been talking about what those relationships look like within the community. And uh, tonight, we're going to move forward in that uh, statement, and we're going to move on to the part that says, joining God in the renewal of the world. And as I was thinking about that, as I was praying into that, as I was like, okay, what am I going to talk about in the sense of God and the renewal of the world? Um, I really just got this sense that what God wanted me to talk about tonight was just this part, joining God, just that. Just that idea. How do we join God in what he's doing in the world when it comes to bringing his kingdom? And sure, we're going to get into the renewal of the world, what it means to be culture makers, what it means to bring heaven to earth in some sense as the people of God. If you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus in this place. But tonight, really what I want to talk about is prayer. And I, I, at first, I was like, okay, how does this kind of fit into our mission statement? Uh, I thought maybe I heard God wrong or sensed something wrong in the sense of what he put on my heart. Uh, but then I was talking to Dan Gillis, who runs our prayer ministry, and I was looking at the prayer application. So if you want to be part of the prayer team here at The Collective, you know those guys at the back that pray for you if you need prayer, uh, they have a tag on. Uh, if you want to apply to be on that team, you have to fill out an application. And this is at the start of the application. This is the statement. Okay, it reads this. We believe that prayer changes reality. The starting point for all significant works of God is prayer. It is here that we have an opportunity to interact with the Spirit of God and participate in the work of bringing redemption to our generation and healing into our lives. I read that. I was like, okay, I get it. Got to get what you want to talk about tonight. And I was getting really excited talking to Dan Gillis about what God wants to do in us and through us this year as we talk about prayer. I really believe that this message is going to be a pivotal point for us as a community to really grasp, to really get. And so with that, we're going to turn to Luke 11, 1 to 4. See, we need to understand that prayer is a tool, a gift that God's given us to not only tap into his heart, but tap into his power in order to actually go about and bring change wherever we go. And Luke 11, 1 to 4 taps into this. But simply, tonight, I want you to walk away with this one idea, okay? Prayer is more about developing a relationship than a transaction, okay? Prayer is simply more about developing a relationship than a transaction. First time I heard that, it was actually a pastor in the States that said it. I'm not sure if it's original to him. But I was like, okay, that's pretty simple. But as I started to think about that statement, as I started to process it, as I started to apply it to my own life, God's been totally changing the way I prayed. 
That along with a book called Prayer, Our Deepest Longing, which is like a lot of the inspiration of this talk tonight. Go grab that book. It's 86 pages of pure gold. How many of you like short books in the house? I love short books. They're the best, right? Read them. Give them to a friend. Takes like an hour. That's my kind of reading. But this book just opened my eyes and actually changed the way I prayed. So with that, Luke 11, 1 to 4, I'm going to read it right through. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Let's pray. God, as I think about those words, I really pray that in these moments, through my words, that you would teach us to pray. God, you would teach us why we need to pray. You would reveal to us, even in this moment, God, how it leads us to fully experience you. I pray that you just pour out your grace in this place and your love and your mercy. That to some of us in the room that haven't actually realized the full implications of the gospel, that you would open our eyes to that. That you give us a fresh revelation of what Jesus came and did. To those of us in the room that are searching for answers, God, that are just having a bad week or a bad season, God, I pray that you would infuse us and encourage us with the hope that we find in the person of Jesus. I pray, God, that you would just go and do above and beyond what we can ask or imagine in this place as we continue to worship you, as we dig into your word, as we pray together, as we take communion, God. Come and meet us. Come and have your way with us. Transform us. Holy Spirit, we invite you to, to move in our hearts and to work in our hearts so that we may look and act more like Jesus. Amen. So I'm not sure about you, but when it comes to prayer, uh, I don't remember actually studying it very hard. You know, as a kid, you kind of just copy what maybe your parents, if you grew up in a Christian home of some sort, or maybe you even saw on TV somebody pray, um, and it was pretty straightforward, right? It's talking to God. That's what prayer is. It's conversating with God. So I would just throw words together. Like, maybe a lot of you probably prayed uh, before a meal, maybe, and a prayer went something like, you know, God bless this food to our bodies. As a kid, you don't, you don't think about those words, right? You just say whatever your parents tell you to say. And uh, as a kid, I had no clue what that meant. Like, what does that mean? Bless this food to my body. I have no clue. I just said it, right? Uh, my five-year-old, uh, Mason, he is awesome. And uh, for some reason, he just picked up prayer and he just goes for it. He just starts talking. Um, and, and he doesn't close his eyes or anything. I'm like, dude, do you. Pray however you want. That's fine. But for some reason in his prayers, right, he's got this idea. It's talking to God. Uh, sharks always make their way into his prayer. I don't know, I don't know how, but somehow, like, this, this one line, please don't let Jesus get eaten by sharks. I don't know how that idea popped into his head. But somehow, between me explaining who Jesus was and what he came to do on the cross, his imagination just took off. And it ended up with Jesus in shark-infested waters of some sort. But 
but that's, that's how we learn to pray, right? We never really think about it. We just copy what someone else prays. And, you know, like my kids watch me and learn to pray. You would think, like the disciples, they've been hanging out with Jesus for a long time now. And if you follow uh, the story of Jesus through the book of Luke, you just see him over and over again going by himself to places in silence and solitude and praying and seeking God and seeking his father and talking to him. So you think, okay, disciples, they would put two and two together. They would probably learn how to play. They'd probably pick it up. But yet, they ask him this question, and as reading this passage, it just kept hitting me over and over again. They ask him this question, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Why did they ask him that? There's something about Jesus and the way that he prayed that was just totally different than all the religious leaders that they grew up seeing praying. There's something different about the way that he prayed that was different than anybody that they saw in their culture that would pray in the temple, that, that would pray in the streets. There's just something so different than uh, the way that Jesus prayed. So they wanted to tap into that. They knew not only that, 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 Jesus, that Jesus drew his power, that Jesus could carry himself in a certain way because of those times of prayer. So they asked him this question, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus responds, when you pray, say, and he goes on to teach them. And he goes on to this, this beautiful prayer that we see here that some of us know as the Lord Prayer. But what I want to highlight, and a side note for a second, is when he starts to tap into and talk about how to pray, he uses this wording, when you pray, when you pray. Some of us, a lot of us take that word and we just apply it in an individualistic sense. And we're like, okay, well, Lord's Prayer is something that I do in my private times. But what Jesus was talking about right here is a prayer that we actually do corporately. A prayer that's actually best engaged corporately. When he's talking to you, he's talking to all the disciples that were standing in front of him, that he was teaching them how to pray. One theologian, Luther, says this, the Lord's Prayer binds people together within one another so that each prays for the other and with the other. We've talked about this before. To truly experience God in all his fullness, you need community. See, that's why we meet here. That's why we worship. That's why we open God's word together. That's why we do group prayer and take communion at the end of the night. It's to experience God together. And when it comes to prayer, it's, it's the same thing. Personally, you know, uh, I like that idea. I'm pretty collaborative by nature. Um, the interns know this. Yesterday, I had to do uh, something that I really dislike doing in my job, and that's uh, expenses or uh, typing in receipts. And uh, I kind of got kind of distracted. So we had to do receipts all the way back to uh, July, which was a long, long time. Took us a long time. But uh, I got three of them in the room. And graciously, uh, they helped me do receipts, and we finished that in no time. But uh, I'm pretty, I like to do things as a team, right? So when it comes to prayer, I actually know when I pray with others, uh, I can actually sustain uh, in that moment of prayer, uh, not, get uh, not get distracted, uh, not lose my focus when I pray with somebody. Actually, uh, me and Dan, we meet and we pray weekly for the collective and other things that God puts on our hearts for this young adult community. So I know that. So I, I kind of moved to praying uh, in groups. But a lot of you in the room, when it comes to this group prayer time, you actually dread it. You actually dread talking out loud to God. 
And the reason that I bring this up, the reason that we took like this little side trail is I really wanted you to encourage you to just pray. You're not praying to the person beside you. You're praying to God. Don't worry about sounding eloquent. Don't worry about sounding religious. Just talk to God. Just share what's on your heart. And if you step out in faith like that, and tonight even, if you decide to pray out loud, even if it's like one sentence, You'll be stepping into an experience of experiencing God in his fullness that you've never experienced before. So with that, Jesus begins to teach them to pray. And he starts with this, Father, hallowed be your name. Father, hallowed be your name. So I wanted to take this whole prayer apart, and I wanted to work through it. But every time I came back to this passage, I couldn't work past this word, Father. And some of you, if you've been at the collective, you know I've talked about this word father when it comes to prayer and the implications of it and how it's changed my prayer life. But you need to understand that there is just so many ways that you could take this word and apply it to our lives that we don't even have time tonight to talk about it. But with that, I I think the starting point for understanding that prayer is more about a relationship than a transaction revolves around understanding this word father. And I want to pack that. But let me address uh, the elephant in the room in some sense. As I mentioned prayer, as I started talking about prayer, um, I'm not sure about you, but I don't like praying that much. I think this quote uh, is true of, of a lot of us. Uh, uh, I want to pray, writes spiritual author Henry Nouwen, but also I don't want to miss out on anything. Television, movies, socializing with friends, drinking in the world. That encapsulates my mindset. The last thing that I want to do at the end of the day is pray. You know, I'd rather just like jump into bed, watch some Netflix, and fall asleep instead of pray. Not only that, when I pray, when I engage in prayer, I get bored. Anybody else just get bored sometimes? Get distracted? Lose interest? And here's the problem with that. When it comes to prayer, you know, we get distracted constantly. Uh, and sometimes we operate with this idea that if our heart's not truly in something, our heart's not fully in something, it's not worth doing. Have you, ha- have you ever thought that idea before? Like, just think about it when it comes to a job, right? Like, a lot of young adults, uh, I know I've done this a lot, is, like, sometimes in a job, like, we're really excited and amped on it, right? I was, like, really pumped on this marketing job one year that I I did, and uh, we got to wear suits, you know? I thought I was looking good. I thought this was a dope job, and what ended up happening was we actually went and sold these, like, gift packages of tickets to white cap games and, like, uh, two-for-ones for for Denny's and stuff like that, door-to-door. And like very quickly, I was like, okay, this isn't as cool as I thought it was. And I lost interest and my heart wasn't fully in it. So I moved to another job. But take that mindset, right, and apply it to prayer, right? It's all about an experience. And it builds its way into our minds and creates this false notion when it comes to what we think constitutes prayer. When what our experience with prayer should be like, right? We think it should always be like this ecstatic experience of some sort. And sure, my prayer times have been like that. A lot of the times, you know, I really sense God and his closeness. I've just really felt joy in that moment when when I'm praying. I sense his presence. My, My heart warms to his presence in the room. But a lot of the times, you know, if I'm being really honest with you, I I feel nothing. I feel nothing. 
Sometimes I'm just saying words. Sometimes I'm just going through those, mo- those motions, if you will. A lot of times I, I catch myself actually just reciting prayers that I remember from when I was like 10. And in that moment, I'm like, what am I doing? But here's the thing. If you actually think about it, a lot of spiritual writers actually write this. Sure, when it comes uh, to prayer, early on in our walk with Jesus, early on in our prayer lives, like our honeymoon stage, prayer is like those experiences. It's vibrant. We feel alive. We feel energized during those times of prayer. But the more and more that we walk with Jesus and the deeper we go into relationship with him, what they write is that those experiences become less and less true the deeper we go. But here's the beautiful part. We're not actually regressing. We're actually growing. Isn't that crazy? You're actually growing closer to Jesus. If that's happening in your life in any sense, if you're actually in prayer right now and you're not experiencing much, that has nothing to do with how close you are actually to God in that moment, how close he is to you. So think about it as a relationship, right? This is really going to help us understand prayer. So me and my wife, we've been married for um, nine years now. I think we celebrated our uh, wedding anniversary in September. Thank you. Thank you. That was my cue to take a drink. So we got married when I was like 21. Uh, She was 20. We were really young. So things started really uh, hot and heavy, if you know what I'm saying. But really quickly, right, real, real life hit. Real life hit. Life with kids hit. I think I had uh, my first uh, kid was born when I was 23, which is crazy to think about now. And, uh, like, you know, things, th- things were still romantic and stuff like that. But, you know, you move past that honeymoon stage like most couples do. And it takes effort, right? It, it takes effort to get the romance going and uh, keep it there. And so, you know, we do date nights and all that kind of stuff. But, but one thing that me and my wife always do and always still do to this, this, to, to this point right now um, is that we would always give each other a kiss anytime any of us left the house. So if I leave to go to work, I'll give my wife a kiss and vice versa. Uh, and then... Every time we go to bed, uh, we'll give each other a kiss goodnight, even if we're tired or whatever like that. Yesterday night, my wife put our newborn, Lennon, into the crib, and as she, like, fell back, like, exhausted, I I made sure to give her a kiss as I, I was prepping this sermon. The reason I tell you that is this. A recent study on marriage points out that couples who make it a habit to give each other a ritual embrace or a kiss before leaving the house in the morning uh, or another ritual embrace before retiring at night fare better than those who let this gesture be determined by simple spontaneity or mood. The study makes the point that even if the ritual kiss is done in a distracted, hurried, or duty-bound way, it still serves as a very important function. Namely, it speaks of fidelity, faithfulness, commitment beyond the ups and downs of our emotions, distractions, and tiredness on any given day. It's a ritual and an act that is done regularly, precisely to say what our hearts and heads can always, um, hearts and heads cannot always say, namely, that the deepest part of us remains committed, 
even during those times when we are too tired to self or self-preoccupied to be as attentive and present as we should be, it says we still love the other and remain committed despite the inevitable changes and pressures the seasons bring. Like, hear me right, okay? I date my wife, okay? I, I make sure that uh, I'm romantic with her and the, uh, the romance is still going. Like, I have four kids, okay? Hello. So... Like, that's still happening, but I still do this, okay? I still do this to make sure that, like, there's this faithfulness that I, I, I express that I'm committed to her. But here's the thing. Pop culture will look at my relationship with my wife and tell me that if things aren't exciting, if there's this, not this ongoing romance, if things aren't interesting every moment, that's a sign that there's something wrong with my relationship. But this is actually the truth. The, the truth is... Ritual, ritual, routine, sustains the heart and love. Not the other way around. Ritual and routine sustains the heart and the love and expresses my faithfulness, my commitment to my wife in this gesture. Not the other way around. I don't allow my heart or what I feel in that moment to dictate how I'm going to interact with my wife, how I'm going to show her that I'm committed. So take that, take that idea, okay? Now apply it to prayer. See, when we see prayer as a relationship more than a tr transaction, we understand these deep implications that we, we, we take part in it in a ritualistic sense because what it does is it stirs our affections. It stirs our love for God. Even if we don't feel like it in, in that moment, even if we're not experiencing like this ecstatic, joy-filled prayer time, what it's doing is it, it's it's helping us stay faithful. It's helping us stay committed. It's helping us walk with God in our daily life. So take it back to the Father, okay? Jesus teaching us to pray by addressing God as Father is this revolutionary thought. You got to see it like that. And to write a theologian uh, says it like this, the very first word of the Lord's Prayer therefore contains with it not just intimacy, relational language, but revolution, not just familiarity, but hope. In that culture, like this word father, like it would have been used before. It's not the first time, okay? But they knew this word father that like when you call God father, it, it led, this language led back to these ideas, these stories that they celebrated. And the story that they would have celebrated over and over again was this moment in time back in the Old Testament, back uh, in the book of Exodus, where God used Moses to take the people of Israel and lead them out of slavery from the Egyptians. That's the idea. That's the story that would have popped into the head every time that they would have used this language to describe God, God as their father. So by Jesus telling them to call God their father, what he's doing is he's reminding them of their liberating father, this God that brought them out of slavery. And not only that, he's saying that when you use this language, you're aligning um, yourself with God in a way that it not only just points back to this old exodus, but it points back to this new exodus, this time that we know as Christians that we're all waiting for, that Jesus is going to come back and make all things new. You get that? This, this is what makes Christian prayer different than any other type of prayer. Like we all know that we're not the only people that pray as Christians, right? Like if you did surveys or look at surveys and stats, there's a lot of people that pray. There's people that don't believe in anything that pray. The thing that makes Christian prayer so unique, that makes it effective, is this, this word right here, that, that we call God Father. 
that we're aligning ourselves to this reality of what's going to happen. And what that looks like is that God's kingdom is coming. It comes through our action. It comes when we pray for people and they're healed. It comes when we see the gospel just infect and interact people's li- in, in, in people's lives where they're released of addiction, when they're released of just past hurts and sin. And I could go on, but the only way that we can enter into this family of God, the only way that we can call and address God as Father is if we realize what Jesus came and did for us. If we realize that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is the key to this family. Otherwise, we have no right to call God Father. Right? The only way that we're adopted into his family, the only way that we become sons and daughters is because when we put our faith in Jesus, when we surrender everything to him. Talking about this, we need to realize that when we're calling God Father, it's part of our identification. It's a marker. It's a marker of how we're living our life. And this is the heart of prayer. This word Father is at the heart of prayer. It's not about the greatness of God. It's not about our unworthiness. But it's about a great God who comes down to unworthy people and relates to them in a way that is father and child. Get that. Let that resonate with you tonight. Let that move in your heart in a way to relate to God in new ways. Because prayer cultivates that relationship. Prayer aligns us with the heart of God. Jesus says this in 519, Very truly I tell you, the son cannot do nothing but by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. So how much more, you know, if this is Jesus' approach to how he does ministry, to how he walks out his life, How much more do you think that we need to pray to cultivate our relationship with the Father so that we align ourselves with his heart and what his will is in this world to know what to do, to know what the next steps are so we just don't go about following our own agendas, following our own plans, and making a mess of everything? How much more do you think that we need to do this? Right, I was thinking about this, and um, when it comes to this, right, the whole idea of prayer It's really about dependence on God. That's really what Jesus is teaching us. All these lessons of prayer are about us as human beings realizing how much we need to depend on God. That's what prayer is doing. It's us coming to the realization that we need God. We need his grace every moment of every single day. But with that, with that whole idea of Father... Sometimes it it can actually cause us to retreat, to retract, to not actually approach God in prayer. Me and my son, uh, Shabby, we we have a good relationship. Like, he's my oldest son. He's uh, almost seven. And uh, I know Shabby really well because he's he's like me. He's like me when I was his age. And so I, I know him really well how he acts, how he kind of is around me. And uh, sometimes when he's lying or had a bad day at school or whatever, um, right away, he doesn't want to interact with me whatsoever. He doesn't want to talk to me. He doesn't want to joke around with me. He doesn't want to hang out with me. Like I can ask the kid to go get a Slurpee and he'll just walk to his room. And I asked myself the question, like, okay, why, why is he doing that? And I realized like at a subconscious level, 
He thinks that the only way that he can interact with me, his father, is that if he has, uh, in, in some sense, uh, is on his best behavior. Like, he's in a good place. He didn't make any mistakes. Uh, he, he's being a good kid. And as soon as I realized that, I, as soon as I realized why he was retreating or retracting, um, I made sure that I would pursue him. I made sure that I would go in, figure out what was wrong, even if he didn't say anything, just love him and affirm him and make sure that he knows that no matter what state he is in, he is loved. See, when it comes to God being our father, a lot of times we relate to him like we would an earthly parent, thinking in the same way as my son Shabby, that in order to pray, in order to engage him as father, we need to be on our best behavior of sorts. We need to be in the right mindset. We can't be dealing with sin. We can't be dealing with lustful thoughts. We can't be dealing with addictions. Whatever we're struggling with in that moment, no, we got to be in this serene place where we can engage and interact with him. And a lot of us, because a lot of us know that we're not perfect, it actually moves us away from prayer. It causes us to not, not, not want to interact with him whatsoever. And really, the root of that is shame. You know, I realized in my life really quickly when I, I, I was struggling with certain things that shame was actually keeping me from engaging God a lot. And if we think about shame, it actually has been affecting us as humans from the beginning of time. Like if you think about Adam and Eve in the garden, what happens? They go and eat from that fruit, from that tree that they know that they're supposed to not, not to eat from. And suddenly everything goes wrong. Everything goes wrong in the garden and they realize that they're naked. And what do they do? They hide. They hide because in that moment, they're feeling shame for the first time. And God, uh, they, 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 and they also hid themselves from God. And in that moment, you know, if we think about that, we realize that we, we've been doing that same thing. We've been doing that same thing in our interactions with one another. And as I was thinking about this and I was praying into this tonight, I believe that there's a lot of us in this room that deal with shame. That are still holding on to shame from past hurts, from past sins, from things that have been done to us, things that... We're out of our control in a lot of ways. And what I want to do in these next few moments is I want, I want the Holy Spirit to work on your heart. I want the Holy Spirit to bring to light things that you might need to leave here tonight. Things that you might need to give to God tonight things that you might need to deal with in order to fully engage God as Father. So as I continue, I just want to talk about some ways that we try to cover up, that we try to hide. And I want you to just close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to think about these scenarios. I want you to think about these examples. And I want you to be really honest with yourself. Because we been desperately trying to cover our shame, as I said, to hide it from one another. Brene Brown, a researcher, says it like this. says, shame only needs three things to grow exponentially in our life. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. And sadly, the church often follows society 
and offering shame-laden people, all three. We all have different strategies for dealing with our shame. Some of us in the room, we cover it up with approval. We genuinely, genuinely believe if people like us enough, we will feel loved. The problem with that is that even if we get the whole world to like us, it cannot touch our shame because we kept those same people who like us back from really knowing us, therefore rendering them incapable of offering the kind of love that we really need. Some of us seek to cover it up with work. We think if we can put enough hours in, climb enough ladders, leave enough of a legacy behind, then maybe, just maybe, it will lighten the load of our shame. The problem is that work becomes a way to escape dealing with ourselves and our wounds, a way of hiding from the very parts of ourselves with which we need God to graciously deal with. Still, there are others who cover their shame with addictions of all shapes and sizes. Sexual addiction seduces us with the false belief that giving in to our lust will somehow make us feel whole. Substance abuse promises us that if we can just alter our moods to feel good enough, then we will have what we need to face the difficulties of life. But get this, both strategies rob our intimacy with God and with one another. We not only seek to cover our shame with different strategies, all of which end up deepening our shame, we also seek to hide it from one another. In the garden, God said that it was not good for man to be alone. Ever since then, shame is Satan's strategy to make us feel alone. Shame alienates us from one another because hiding is always the response to shame. Hiding is always the response to shame. So what's the remedy? How do we fight this universal experience? The hint lies in Genesis 3.21. And I'm going to paraphrase it for you. You can look it up later. See, the Lord comes in in this moment, and instead of shaming Adam and Eve, he covers their shame. Instead of mocking their nakedness, he makes garments out of animal skins. It's the first hint of all, in all scripture that our shame will come our shame will be dealt with through a sacrifice of grace. It's one of the first places in all of Scripture that anticipates what Jesus is coming and doing right now in this moment as we read this story. He's in the process of doing. And the instance that they feel shame in this story is the instant that God responds with showing us that Jesus is the solution. Vulnerability is the antithesis of shame. Meaning like in this community, if we're going to be vulnerable within, with one another, if we're truly going to form, be formed into tight-knit relationships, we need to deal with our shame first. Otherwise, we're always going to keep an arm's distance, an arm's length from one another from really getting to know each other. We cultivate love when we allow our most vulnerable selves to be deeply seen and known. And here's the beauty of the gospel. Is that we don't struggle to be known. We're called to know him the one who cultivated love in us, our Father. Jesus was himself no stranger to shame. As he went to the cross, he was shamed by his disciples, who through desertion and denial wanted absolutely nothing to do with him. He was shamed by the religious leaders who not only just covered him with his, their injustice, but also with his spit, their spit. 
He was shamed by the Roman soldiers who stripped him and physically abused him. He was also shamed by those who passed by him on the road and insulted him as he hung naked on the cross. The cross itself is the ultimate symbol of shame. A gruesome death reserved for the worst kind of men. And at the cross, Jesus experienced the deepest kind of shame, the shame of being rejected by God the Father as unclean. That's why the author of Hebrews wrote this about Jesus, that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. In what sense did he despise its shame? Jesus endured shame that he might take away our own. See, Jesus didn't come to shame us out of our sin. He came to take that shame of our sins away that we might no longer stand condemned. That we don't have to deal with that shame, that we don't have to hide, that we can approach God boldly. That we can come into his presence to cultivate that relationship. And not only do you, till you deal with that shame in your life, will you fully be able to, to experience prayer the way that Jesus is talking about. In this passage, as God, as your father. See, when you realize that God knows you, knows the sin that you are going to do next week, and still accepts you, that still relates to you, you'll engage with him in a new way. You won't come to him asking for your needs, because you know that he knows you, and he knows what you actually need in that moment. You'll come to him and ask, instead of asking God to give you stuff, you'll ask him, okay, God, what do you have for me today? Think about that way of praying. That's totally different, isn't it? God, what do you have for me today? What do you have for me to do? Instead of asking him to give you that job that you're looking for, that best job or getting to that best school, you take on this mindset of asking God, okay, where do you want me to go to school? What career do you want me to pursue? Because wherever we're at, right, God wants to engage people through us, right? That's what we're doing. Ministry and the life that we live is it's not two separate things. They're actually joined together. We're doing ministry every day that we walk into Starbucks, that we walk into the, the YMCA to go work out. Wherever you're at, you're doing ministry. You're on mission. And when you take this posture and you start to learn to pray in this way, that's when the adventure starts. That's when the Christian experience uh, in its entirety is actually experienced the way that it's supposed to be experienced. So tonight... You know, I'm going to call up Dan, and I thought the best way to share and to illustrate this was just for Dan to share his journey with prayer over the next year. I'm going to call up the worship team also. But I want you to think about this, because, you know, if you, if you don't pray regularly, maybe you probably don't understand or relate to God as being your father. Or maybe you don't understand the need and dependence that you need to have on God and how prayer brings you to that realization. So with that, Dan. Thanks, Ben. Um, yeah, I just want to share um, just my story uh, of prayer this year. This past year, God's gift to me has um, been prayer. But um, throughout my Christian experience, prayer has been the most difficult, discouraging, and, and frustrating practice um, for me. Like, my, for me, like reading the Bible or doing community or anything other than prayer uh, was so much um, easier. 
But this year, everything began to change. Um, if you've ever been discouraged or you felt like cold and distant, maybe you felt like your prayers were bouncing off the ceiling, maybe you felt like you have a head full of knowledge, but your heart is somewhere totally different. Um, if you can relate to that, you can relate to where I was at a year ago. Um, I had just moved here from the East Coast of Canada, and I was brand new. I didn't know anyone. And my Christian experience for so long was about learning things about God. It was all about head knowledge, and I had a head full of knowledge, but my heart was so far from God. And so um, I just began to realize that this wasn't a good way to live the Christian life, that my way of, of following Jesus uh, needed to be totally changed and totally reoriented. So um, I was just so frustrated that one morning um, I got up and I went to my desk and I grabbed a pen, a small piece of paper and my Bible and I went out into uh, the parking lot and I got in my car and I just began to write down things that I was going to pray for. And I wrote on that small little piece of paper 10 things that I was going to pray for. And after I had written those down on that piece of paper, I began to pray. And I prayed through those 10 things, and I literally prayed everything I could think of in about 45 seconds. And I was done. And I didn't feel anything. There wasn't anything special. Nothing really changed. There was nothing really significant about those moments. But it was in that moment that everything began to change in my prayer life. The next morning, um, I got up quietly, trying not to wake up my roommate, and I snuck out again, and I grabbed that piece of paper, and I began to pray over it again. And again, it, was, it, was, it wasn't special. It wasn't like super intimate or anything like that. I just began to pray through that. And I stumbled my way through those, those 10 things. And over this past year, I've seen God answer every single thing on that list. And that's not the miracle that, I, that I've seen this year. The, the miracle that I received isn't that God began to answer the prayers that, that, I, um, th that I prayed to him. The miracle is that God began to change my heart. As I would show up morning after morning after morning and sit in my cold car in the morning and just go over that list, God began to melt my heart. And prayers that once seemed so unhonest and unreal and ingenuine and, and prayers that, that just seemed like so distant from God began to become intimate. And, and I felt a connection to God and God began to change my heart. And so over this year, I've seen God become close to me. And, and not only have I, have I learned to talk with God, but God's also taught me how to listen and so I would show up in, in prayer with God, and God would begin um, to, to give me a, a scripture verse, or maybe he would give me a picture or a word or a phrase, and he'd begin to speak to me, and I would just sit in silence. And so this pr prayer became less of a monologue, me talking to God, and became more of me enjoying God's presence. And maybe you can relate to where I was a year ago. You feel distant, you feel like your prayer's are just insignificant or, or you just, like Ben was talking about, feel shame and like you can't come close to God. I want to encourage you that if you just show up, 
That's it. Just show up. God will begin to change your prayer life, but he'll also begin to change your heart. And, and you know what? I still struggle with prayer sometimes. I still show up, and I feel distant. Um, I, I, all the time, I'll show up, and I'll, I'll pray, and it's like 45 seconds, and I'm done. But I promise you, if you just show up, Moment after moment, prayer after prayer, morning after morning, as you show up to God, he'll begin to change your prayer life. And so, so maybe you're here this evening, and, and, and that's you. I talk to young adults all the time, and, and that's such a common experience where you just feel distant from God. This whole week, I haven't been able to leave Psalm uh, 42, where David is saying, my soul, why are you so downcast within me? And he feels far from God. And he keeps reminding himself to put his hope in God. And maybe that's what you need this evening, to put your hope in God and to show up and see God begin to change your prayer life. And so we have a team in the back. We have a prayer corner just outside of this, uh, this door. And we're about to go into a song. And if during this song you just feel distant from God, maybe you feel anxious. Maybe you have anxiety. If you feel like you're carrying a weight that's just too heavy, that's the qualification Jesus told us to come to him in prayer. He said, come to me all who are weary and have too much to carry and I will give you rest. And so we would love to meet with you. We have a prayer team back there and we would love for you to join us in seeing God change this generation and seeing God change the world. And we, be, we believe it begins with prayer. So um, we're gonna go into worship. Join us in the back. I'm just gonna pray over us before we go into this next song. God, we're so deeply convinced that prayer is the starting point of every significant work of God. God, we believe in your spirit. We believe that your spirit is at work in our hearts. But God, we feel so far God, we feel so distant. God, we feel so cold. And, and God, we just, we struggle to come to you as our father. And instead we hide. Instead we hold back. Instead we give up. So God, would you just embolden this room? Would you embolden this generation to come to you in prayer just to show up? Help us to be like Jesus and to realize that apart from the Father, we can do nothing unless we remain in him, unless we are with him. Jesus, convince us that the greatest joy that we can experience is being with the Father in prayer. God, would you renew a spirit of prayer within us and give us hope and joy. And may we know you as the God who loves us, the God who cares for us, and the God who made a way through Jesus to be close with us. We pray this in your name, amen.